You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Today's scripture reading is based out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. It's the same passage as last week, so if you've only been using the Bible after Sunday service, it'll be the same page. Um, that may or may not have happened to me. It goes, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, and we might not that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you as your people, and um, at the end of the passage we just read, it says, like a father with his own children. And then Paul goes on to describe how he spoke to the church as a father does with his children. Lord, that's one of your primary um, just desires. As our father, you want to speak to us. That's not the issue. I think the issue sometimes is that we don't want to listen. So would you, by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear you are a speaking God. You have a lot to say to us, surprising things to say to us, profound things to say to us, life-altering things to say to us, words of hope, words of correction, words of grace that we don't deserve. You have a lot to speak to us, and so I pray that you would give us ears to hear, particularly as it pertains to who you have called us to be as men and as women made in your image. It's uh, clear from the world that we live in that our society is trying to completely unravel what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, and society unravels as a result. Father, I pray you would so put your word before your sons and your daughters this morning that when women hear about what it means to be a woman made in your image, there would be an exciting yes, Lord, in their spirit. And when men hear about what it means to be a man made in your image, that they would, within their heart, feel a yes, Lord, an excitement to walk in, in this path that you've set out for us. So, Father, speak to us. We're ready to listen. And we pray that you would um, just visit us during this mo these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as I started studying this passage a couple weeks ago, I felt like I needed one week to sort of explain it broadly and apply it to us as a church. And then 
as I was working through it, I didn't feel like I had enough time to go as deep into it as I wanted to, uh, because there's a particular area that I wanted to apply this passage to. And uh, the events of this last week have only further confirmed the need to, to focus on this passage again. Um, it's been a hard week. It's been a terrible week. Um, we don't need much further evidence that we live in a very sick, uh, you could maybe even say terminally ill society than the things that have happened. And so even just coming off of recent weeks, so coming off the heels of just the, uh, I don't even know the adjective to describe it, the discussion about the unborn and the necessity that we would protect the least of these among us, and all of that happening, revealing the, uh, the wickedness of our society. Uh, coming off even the week before, a gunman shooting down 10 people on the basis of racial hatred. Um, that's what brought us into this week. And then I started this week with uh, the startling report coming from the Southern Baptist Convention on uh, sexual abuse within the denomination uh, and how the executive board of the Southern Baptist Convention grossly mishandled uh, those situations. I'm still piecing some of the details together, but broadly speaking, there have been a number of sexual abuse uh, situations happening within Southern Baptist churches. And it is a little bit complicated, I suppose, being Southern Baptist, because being Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention has no, um, like, ecclesiological authority over local churches. Like, they can't come in. It's, it, it's a voluntary, voluntary network. That, that being said, still, uh, the executive board of the Southern Baptist Con Convention seemed more focused on legal liability and maintaining a facade of, I don't know what facade they were trying to maintain, than they were in listening to and responding to the claims of sexual abuse within churches. This has caused victims to go unheard, and it's given abusers the opportunity to go unpunished and even at times move from different churches conducting the same acts because of the executive's board's failure to respond uh, to what was happening in these Southern Baptist churches. It's unacceptable. And that's how the week started. And then, a couple of days later, the news broke of something so dark that I, I suppose it shouldn't even be uttered. But just getting our minds around the reality that a gunman went into a school again and shot up a bunch of kids along with two teachers. How sick must we be as a society that something like this has not only happened but continues to happen in our midst. And then it leaves us here sort of as citizens in this society, living in a very sick, very dark world, grasping at solutions. And let me just say on some of those solutions, we need very clear sexual abuse policies in all of our institutions, especially the church, and when an incident happens, uh, law enforcement needs to be brought in right away. We need good laws in place to keep guns out of the hands of wrong people. Uh, that's right and good, but, but neither those policies nor laws on guns goes deep enough. We need the best security that money can buy protecting our kids at schools, but that doesn't go deep enough. What it comes down to, and it's, 
this area that I want to specifically apply this passage to is that more than practical, more than procedural steps, what we desperately need are women, and I'm going to go ahead and say especially men, walking in their God-given calling. What we desperately need are women and especially men walking in their God-given calling. Women, you have a special calling from God, and society flourishes, not perfectly, but families and society flourishes when you walk in that calling. Men, you have a special calling from God, a purpose on your life, and society flourishes when you walk in that purpose. And this passage helps us, I think, identify some of those particular callings. Meanwhile, what's happening societally is that our society is trying to unravel what it means to be a man, what it means to be a, di- a woman, by either saying there are no differences at all, they don't exist, uh, just, just leveling it completely, there's no differences, or it makes manhood and womanhood defined by the most trivial and superficial uh, realities that you could pursue. As though what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman is that you merely possess certain physical characteristics or perhaps speak in a certain way or are interested in certain things. As though that's all that it means to be a man or a woman. It's absurd. It's absurd. And the destruction of gender identity isn't just a funny game. It has damning consequences. So, I want to have a conversation this morning about what does it look like for us to pursue our unique callings as men and as women made in God's image. We're going to look at that together this morning, and before we jump into it, let me just give a few caveats that I think are helpful on this discussion in particular, this discussion of biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. First of all, this is a difficult topic to speak to for a number of reasons, and I'll just acknowledge I'll probably mishandle something I am just at the place, I used to give these big caveats as a church before we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood and try to like uh, make sure that like no one can possibly be offended and I don't want anyone to be offended and I may misstep and I may offend someone this morning, but I would rather move towards this and mess up a little bit than let the culture continue to define for us what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. So like just uh, caveat, like my email address is on the website, we can talk afterwards, that's fine. But, but I'd rather speak towards it and make a little bit of a mess than just leave it the mess that it is. Number two, this is so important. There is absolutely no cookie-cutter mold for what it means to be a man made in God's image and what it means to be a woman made in God's image. Everyone in this room is unique. And like Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood said, all of you heard growing up, you are a very special person there is no one quite like you on the whole earth. That's, that's true. There is no, this is exactly what a man of God looks like. This is exactly what a woman of God looks like. There is uniqueness to every one of us as individuals. However, as men and as women there are that, who are unique, there are still characteristics that we ought to pursue that are unique to us as, as men and women. There are, there are, you could call them virtues, you could call them qualities that we should especially pursue Um, as men and women. So I am not laying for you, this is exactly what a man should look like, this is exactly what a woman should look like, I'm just laying out some characteristics. 
the final thing that I'll say is that all of the characteristics that I'll discuss this morning really should be pursued by both men and women, but to probably greater degrees. So I'm not just saying women are only this and men are only this. I'm saying women, you should be all of these things, but especially pursue this. Men, you should be all of these things, but especially pursue this. Sort of like on a basketball team, like everybody needs to know how to dribble. Everybody should be able to rebound. Everybody should be able to shoot. But pending on your position on the team, you're going to to focus on some of those uh, skill sets even more. I think it's the same with biblical manhood and womanhood. Like all of us are called to these things, but if you're operating as a man or a woman, there are things that should be of special interest to you. So those are my caveats. Okay, what what I want to, how I want to break down the time is this. Um, I'm going to give a category and then a characteristic for women to pursue from this passage. And then I want to give a category and then some characteristics for men to pursue in this passage. And then we'll conclude by just focusing on our desperate need for Jesus, our desperate need for Jesus in these areas. And so let me talk to the women first uh, with both a category and a characteristic you should pursue. What's the category? Number one, motherhood. Motherhood, being a mom. Um, Aside from Jesus, someone might argue that no one has had a greater influence in the human history, into human history than the Apostle Paul. He was an influential man. We are still reading his letters 2,000 years later. And so with Paul being such a profound leader, what illustration does he come up with out of the gate to describe his leadership style? Does he describe himself as a military commander, a king, a president, a ruler. Like, what is the illustration that he comes up with to describe his leadership style? Paul describes his leadership style first by relating it to the sacred, the holy, the powerful calling of being a mother. He says it right there in the beginning of verse 7. I was gentle among you, like a mother taking care of her own children. Someone once said, maybe you've heard it before, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. And I think Paul understood something about just how powerful it is to be a mother. What the world will tell you is that being a mother will hold you back. Being a mother is restrictive. You could do so much more than being a mom. Don't um, hold yourself back by pursuing that calling. And I'll give another caveat, like pursuing a career, phenomenal. Being a working mom, phenomenal. I just want you to hear loud and clear, perhaps the greatest calling you could pursue with your life as a woman is being a mother. I will not let society diminish the significance of that role. As, as God uh, creates Adam and Eve back in Genesis, he immediately describes one of the central areas of calling for her. After creating Eve, he says to her, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So being a mother, being fruitful and multiplying is the first thing that God blesses. God, God blesses it. Uh, it. One of the richest, most rich and most powerful blessings you can experience in your life is that of being a mom. So Paul sets that aside. Like motherhood for women is significant. And let me give another caveat because I recognize for some of you that uh, bearing children of your own is not in the equation right now for whatever reason. Maybe even kids have grown and they've moved out and you don't have the same function that you do. Maybe uh, you're not married yet. Uh, Maybe uh, you have uh, dealt with the realities of infertility. Number one, if that's true, that doesn't make you any less a woman made in God's image. Number two... 
man, a powerful thing that you'll see in the scripture is that all over the pages of the Bible, you have women who dealt with infertility and you see them holding a special place in God's heart and a special role in the unfolding of the Bible. So don't ever let that diminish uh, how you understand yourself. And then finally, if mothering in kind of the traditional sense is sort of not in the equation for you um, right now, it might just mean God has a unique form of mothering for you to walk in um, for people who need it the most. Um, God, God might have some mothering for you to do, uh, some spiritual mothering, uh, some caring for people who maybe are not your immediate children, uh, who need it the most, and God has placed that call on your life. Uh, that's the category. Motherhood. This is a society that we live in desperately needs moms, and here's the characteristic that I want um, us to understand that goes along with it. We need mothers with gentle hearts of longing compassion. Listen to Paul one more time. But we were gentle among you, like a mother nursing her own children. And it says, so, so being affectionately desirous of you, literally so longing for you, uh, that, that, that's what Paul says as the characteristics that accompany uh, women. And so what does this mean, this gentle, longing heart of compassion as, as something you should pursue, a characteristic you should pursue, whether you have kids of your own or not? Uh, this is a heart that is sensitive to hurting people and that moves towards them with kindness and compassion. What is the gentle heart that's being described here? It is a heart of kindness that moves towards sinful and suffering people with compassion. And don't make any mistake about it. This gentleness does not mean weakness. How do I know that? Two reasons. Number one, my wife is this way and just being honest, my wife is stronger than 90% of the dudes in this room, okay? Uh, so that's number one. Uh, and then number two, Jesus describes his own heart one time, like the core of who he is, one time in the Bible. Jesus himself describes his heart one time, and this is what he says. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So see the types of people he invites? People who labor, people who are heavy laden, people who are burdened, tired, beat up, worn out. It says, come to me, such people. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he describes himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler of the universe. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So what kinds of people should come to Jesus? Heavy burdened, worn out, struggling, suffering people. Why should they come to him? Because he has a gentle heart, a gentle heart that overflows with compassion for them. With the great book we give out called Gentle and Lowly that's available in the back, Dane Ortland describes it as the following, this, this gentle heart of Christ. Uh, the gospel flows from God's deepest heart for his people, a heart of tender love for, sinful, for the sinful and suffering. His longing heart for sin sinners comforts and sustains us in the ups and downs of our life. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus sees the fallenness, we've talked about it this morning, the brokenness of the world around us, when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world around him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering not away from it. In summary, he says, this is profound, 
it means concerning Jesus' posture towards you. The things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. Do you hear that? that that's, what a, that's the gentle, compassionate heart of Christ that sees sinful, suffering people moving towards it. When they would cringe and, and, and be ashamed of themselves, Jesus comes around them with love and compassion. That's the kind of heart that I want to call the women of this church to pursue. Uh, and, and listen to me. You may be a woman that's into... Uh, essential oils, or CrossFit, or Krav Maga, or reading, or decorate. Like, I don't know what you're into, and I'm not putting you into a mold. I'm just simply saying this heart, Paul says, accompanies that of biblical womanhood. A heart that sees the sinful and the suffering in this world and moves towards it with longing compassion. It reminds me, I was just thinking of like, when have I experienced this from, from my own mother? So, uh, like in my later teen years, I was a catastrophe. Uh, we fought all the time. My, mom, my relationship with my mom was terrible in those days. And I was strung out on drugs. I was barely going to school. And my health was declining rapidly. And she's doing all kinds of things to help. But one of the things that was happening was like my weight was just tanking. I was just not eating. And so my mom saw like what was going on with me. And one way her gentle, compassionate heart <laughs> manifested itself was by booting me out of the house and putting me in a rehab center for me to get some help uh, from some, uh, uh, you know, military drill instructors that helped set me stay straight. But I remember just being at this like miserable place where I'm not even eating. I weigh like a buck 20, same height I am right now, just dwindling. I remember on one um, occasion, and we were probably fighting along the way and all of that, she just sees me. And she takes me to, I think it was, a, it was either a giant or a shopper's at the time. And it was like a, like a shopping spree. Just like, I see you dwindling weight. Just get whatever you want. We're just going to get food in you. And so we're down the snack aisle and the candy aisle. And we were getting these like Pedialyte extra calorie things to help me get up. And it was in that moment where I am at my worst that at the heart of a mother responds with compassion. What do you need to be healthy and whole and to thrive? That is what biblical femininity looks like. That's one category, at least. When, we, when people are at their worst, women made in God's image seem to be at their very best. So, um, women, be this way with your kids, and then maybe there are areas of society with hurting people that especially burden you. Maybe it's hurting teens. Maybe it's the unborn Maybe it's lonely people at retirement homes. Maybe it's in foster care, sex trafficking, special needs. I don't know what particular area your heart of compassion gravitates towards, but let that carry you with compassion and kindness towards the suffering people in our society. That's, God, that's how God made you. And our society desperately needs moms and moms with tender, gentle hearts of longing compassion for hurting people. And again, I'm not saying that men are not to have tender hearts of compassion. I'm just saying uh, on the basketball team analogy, so to speak, man, you've been specifically designed to pursue this. Let me switch and begin talking to um, the men. I want to give a category again and then some characteristics for the men to pursue. I saw this picture posted earlier in the week after everything happened in Texas, and it just captured me, and uh, I, I don't know what about it was, but I want us to see it, if it's on the, the, the page behind me, and this is what it said. America, the man in this photo can end school shootings. It's called a father. It's called a father. Teen boys who have close, 
intimate, joyful relationships with their father will likely never be a crime statistic. Good fathers are the most effective way of ending young male criminal deviance. So let's have good debates about gun control and school security and even mental health. All that is fine. But if our society would make being a dad great again, we would watch crime statistics plummet. We would watch them plummet. We would not be living in utopia. Things would not be perfect. But if we had more fathers, more dads, crime statistics would plummet. And you see it, just Paul describe it here at the bottom down there at verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, like a father with his children. Our society desperately needs that right now. We need to promote fathers uh, more than we promote athletes, celebrities, comedians, whatever like famous picture we put out there, we desperately need to promote the role of fatherhood, saying, hey, that's, that's the heroic portrait that we need to chase after as a society. We desperately need that. We need fathers uh, um, who carry just, not just the, uh, the title father, but the characteristics of fatherhood that are described in this passage. And we need them with their own children, of course, but even more so because of the catastrophe that we're living in, we need men who play the role of father, maybe even in sons that are not their own. We need to put forward the role of a father. And so let's look at some of the characteristics again that we hit last week. Let's look at them again and apply them specifically to the dads in the room. Number one, what kind of fathers do we need? What are the characteristics that should accompany them? We need hard-working, burden-lifting father figures. So before he describes fatherhood here in verse 9, let me just read it again. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. That's hard work. And how we worked night and day. Why did he work night and day? That we would not be a burden to any of you. Hard work. Uh, difficult work, night and day. When God formed Adam in the garden, first thing he gave him was a job. Hard work. We were made as men to work hard, and when we do not work hard and when our sons do not work hard, we unravel as human beings. So I suppose it wouldn't be a uh, true sermon on biblical manhood without mentioning Bass Pro Shop. I love Bass Pro Shop. Cabela's, they're like the same company. Gainesville, I could probably go there every day. I love it. There's a part of that store that I don't love. It's sad. It's the fish tank. My kids love it. But the, uh, the fish tank there, I guess what is supposed to happen is like you see these big bass in there and then you go buy some fishing poles, spend hundreds of dollars and you use them once and then they sit in your garage. That's, that's, that's what that's supposed to do. But as I go there and my kids want to see the fish, I see these fish that are like, overweight, like their eyes don't look right, they look blind, uh, they're discolored, like they look awful in that tank, they look terrible, just, just kind of floating around in there. And then if I go out on the Bull Run Marina, have any of you dads been out to the Bull Run Marina before? Great spot, it's beautiful, you could, you could visit there, maybe that's a good Father's Day excursion you could go on. And um, you know, you pull, pull a bass out of there, I've pulled one or two bass out of there, okay, so that's like their credentials to speak on biblical manhood, I've done that before out of there. And they're these beautiful fish, like their color is right, 
they're strong, uh, their, their eyes aren't like weirdly, uh, you know, d- deformed, like these are strong, healthy fish. What's the difference between the two? Well, one of those fish sits in a tank and gets food just pumped into it, and the other is out there trying to uh, uh, consume smaller fish, like it's fighting for its survival. So, if you take a man, and especially a young man, sit him in front of a screen all day, uh, have him play video games all day, um, put him on antidepressants, endless TikTok scrolling, no purpose, no vision, nothing uh, that he can put his hands to that is difficult and challenging. He will unravel as a young man. We will unravel as old men. We were, we were made to work. We were made to work hard. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we are. So remember last week, the focus of the work also is important. Um, Last week we noted how Paul worked hard so that he could lift burdens off of other people. So it wasn't just work really hard for selfish gains. It was work really hard so that burdens are lifted off of other people. And we said how wicked men, you can tell a wicked man because he's someone who creates burdens. Righteous men lift burdens. So it's not just that righteous men move to like neutrality, you stop causing problems with your life. No, it goes further than that. Wicked men cause problems, create burdens. Righteous men solve problems and lift burdens off of other people. Whether those are burdens in the home of just simple tasks, whether those are burdens in in the city that we live in with struggling people, uh, godly men move towards those burdens and work hard to lift them off of other people. And you see this captured so well in Ephesians 4.28. So let me, let me read it, and we'll just break it down for just a second. Ephesians 4.28, Paul speaking to thieves. He says, uh, 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 someone who was a thief that met Christ. This is what it should mean in your life. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. You hear the, the call to work hard with his own hands, so that he may, be, be, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Did you see the movement from a burden creator to a burden lifter? Here's someone who used to create burdens by stealing. He took things that didn't belong to him. And Paul says, now you're following Jesus. Stop stealing. That's a good start. Number two, work hard with your own hands. But what is the purpose of him working hard for his own hands? So that he would have something to share with those in need. This is a man that, or or, or even suppose a, a woman that went from being a burden creator to a burden lifter. We are called as men to work hard that burdens might be lifted off of our family and off of the city and the society that we live in. And so I ask the men in this room, what burdens, what burdens might the Lord be calling you to work hard at to lift off other people? Is it burdens at home? Burdens in your neighborhood? Burdens that single moms face? Especially single moms raising young boys? burdens that uh, are are faced with struggling youth in our society? Like, what areas might the Lord call you to work hard in to lift burdens? That's the first characteristic. Hard burden-lifting work. We need to pursue that as men, as father figures. Number two, we need to become high-character father figures. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. The first thing that God gave Adam in the garden was a job. The second thing God gave Adam in the garden was his law, his word. And it was Adam's responsibility to take God's word and to bring it to uh, his, his wife, his children. And of course, he failed 
to do that, but we are to exemplify what it is to walk in God's law, to walk as men of character and integrity in every area of our lives. What, what does this mean simply? It means that we as men need to live God's way all the time in all areas. Let me say that one more time. We need to live God's way, not our way, all the time, not just some of the time, in all of the areas, not just the convenient ones. God's way, all the time, in all areas. Uh, we need to be men who are seeking to live under God's rule. And so a man of God, a, a godly father figure, wakes up from the, in the morning, and perhaps he begins with the Lord's Prayer, and he gives special attention to that part that says, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. I want to live my life under your rule and reign. And then number two, uh, I want to do it all the time. So what that means is that there's not a Sunday morning version of him and then a Saturday night version of him. There's not a public image of this man and a private image of this man. All the time, not that he's perfect, of course, but there's, there's not these stark contrasts between his private life and his public life. He's a man of integrity. He tries to seek God's will all the time. And so a particular area of what this should mean, brothers, is that there should be no fear. No fear if someone were to look through your search history on your internet browsing. No fear in that at all. Should be no fear with that. Uh, even if you can clean it up, if a computer forensic scientist was to look through your computer, there should be no fear in that at all because we're pursuing integrity, wholeness in that area of our lives. Uh, and then, again, every area of, of our life, not just some, but we are regularly studying God's word to see it, how it applies to our life. And, of course, what this means of being men of high character is not brothers. It's not that we're perfect all the time. That's impossible. But when we are struggling in a particular area, we get help. We get help. We get some other brothers around us where we can acknowledge where we're weak, where we're struggling, where we are falling and we can't seem to get out. We get other brothers around us to help with that. And just as I was preparing this, Evan really told me in the, in the past where uh, our church has offered this recovery program, maybe you're trapped in something that's got a hold of you that you know is just uh, not, a, it's not integrity. It's not walking in God's will for your life, but you can't seem to get out of it. Well, just as I was preparing this, Evan said that some brothers had reached out to him that have been struggling, that want to walk through that program for recovery, uh, and that he's actually welcoming some people in to do that. He can't take everyone, uh, but he'd like to take some. And so this morning, if you're in a place where you're trapped, you're struggling with a particular sin pattern, Evan would love to talk to you. He'll be at the connection table. Uh, can you do that? Uh, as service is done to give you some information about that. Or you can talk to me and I'll get you his, in, his information, okay? So, so we need to be hardworking, burden-lifting father figures, um, high-character father figures. And then the last one that's, that's captured here is we need to be vocal father figures. Vocal. We need men who speak up and let significant words, words of life, fall on those around us. Let me read verse 12. We exhorted each one of you. We encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is Paul the Apostle speaking up, using his words as a man made in God's image to bring life, to bring challenge, to bring correction to those around them. God entrusted his word to Adam to pass it to his family. He failed to do that. God has entrusted his word to both men and women, but men need to especially speak up that they might bring words of life to their families 
and their communities. Men, hear me, hear me. Your words matter. Your words to your family, uh, to other men in your circle, they carry weight. Uh, Sadly, men struggle to use our words. We do. Uh, Some of us are just known for complaining and being negative all the time. Others of us are just sarcastic and just stay on the most surface level areas with our words. Others of us just zone out and don't say anything at all, all the while. There is such an opportunity to use our words among the people around us to bring life, to bring encouragement, to call up, uh, uh, to challenge those around us. And so let me take a, a survey in this room. I'd like to ask the, uh, the wives and the daughters to participate in, the sur- in this survey. Please raise your hand if you would like to hear less scripture and words of encouragement from the man in your life. Okay. Please raise your hand if you would like to hear more scripture and more words of encouragement from the man in your life. Don't be shy. See, my, I, I thought I would get exempt. I stand up here and preach every week, but yet still, I, I need to participate that. Like, like the people around us are longing for us to step into that role of, of speaking up, of using our words to encourage and using our words to, to speak God's word to those around us. It will bring life to our wives and our kids if we will be vocal father figures. So how do we uh, overcome, overcome our neglect of speaking up? How can we be men who are vocal and use our words to hit on the significant areas of life? Number one, we need to pray. God, you've given me just significant, you've given me influence. My words matter with my kids. My words matter with my wife. Would you, uh, would you help me to speak to them a- in a way that builds up, that gives life, that transforms them? So number one, pray. And then number two, this is real easy, guys. Plagiarize plagiarize. Let me explain what I mean by that. I got, this was so funny. We were at community group talking about this last week, and I just give props to this brother because this is very creative. So what he said he would do on Valentine's Day, every Valentine's Day, he's not done this anymore, but every Valentine's Day, he'd buy two cards. He'd have one that would be the card that he would deliver, and the purpose of the other card was to copy the message that Hallmark had come up with in, in the other one. Like, he, he wasn't like, I don't know what romantic words to say to kind of make this moment special, so I'll just copy those words over. And so, um, whether you do that on Valentine's Day or not, I'll, I'll just say this, better than nothing, okay? Uh, better than nothing. Um, but whether or not, and I don't even know the legalities of, with Hallmark, of if you're allowed to do that, but here's, here's what you should do, brothers. Man, plagiarize the words of the Bible. Use them all the time in your home. Little things, like even if you can't come up with something to say, like just, just reading the Bible, uh, and just saying, maybe perhaps in a text to your wife, like, hey, I just read First Thessalonians, blah, 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 this morning. I'm just praying this over you today. That's it. Uh, at dinner time, even just open the Bible, reading a little bit that's out of there, maybe asking a question or two. If you don't know what to ask, even just reading it is a great place to start, allowing God's words to shape and direct. If you don't know what to say or what to do, man, God invites you, just plagiarize right out of the Bible. Take it right out of there and, and bring it to bear on your family, uh, and I think it, it exists outside of that. I would encourage the men in this room to like have the courage to carry our conversations as men just a little deeper sometimes. It doesn't always have to be sarcasm and nonsense. That's fine too. Like celebrate and enjoy each other, but at times have the courage to bring God's word, uh, to bring up significant questions, asking questions like, hey guys, what's one thing you can do to improve as a husband this week? What's one way that you can show love to your kids especially this week? 
Um, you know, what's, what's one area of your life that you need prayer for? Let's be men who use our words, uh, not, not being afraid um, to, to go to deeper places with them. And so, uh, bottom line, our families, our communities need father figures who are not so insecure that they can't say something meaningful. We need men to be men who speak up and speak out significant, encouraging, and even scripture-plagiarized words. Um, brothers, hear this call to be this kind of man. Whether you have kids of your own or they're all grown or you have none at all, the solution to so many of our societal ills is the lack of biblical father figures. And so I want to call us to rise to the occasion in our little spheres of influence that God has given us to be men that work really hard, men who walk in integrity, and men who speak up words of life to those around us. And let me just speak to the women, the daughters, the mothers in the room. Um, Pray for the men in your life. Pray for the men in this church. Uh, There is just a great deal of societal discouragement towards men pursuing their calling uh, in society right now. And what they need, I think, from the women in their life is not just pointing out where they fail, but tell them what you see in them, uh, how thankful you are for them, uh, how much you desire to see them walk in these characteristics. Uh, Remind them how important the role they play is in their family and in society, because we desperately need it. And so, zooming out, as we pursue biblical motherhood with gentle hearts of compassion, as we pursue biblical manhood with working hard and walking in integrity and speaking up to those around us, this is the discovery we will find. We desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is the hardest part about walking out um, our calling as men and our calling as women. The deeper we go into our calling as men and women, the more we will realize just how broken and sinful we are. It is in our most fundamental callings as men and women where our sin seems to show itself most clearly. Nothing will show you your weakness and failing like trying to be the man or the woman that I'm describing this morning. But it's in our pursuit of our calling as men and women that we're going to discover two crucial truths, um, to quote Charles Spurgeon. When I try to be the man that God has called me to be, I will discover, number one, my great need for Christ. But then number two, I will discover the great Christ for my need. As I pursue walking in biblical manhood, as you pursue walking in biblical manhood or womanhood, you will discover your great need of Christ. And if you let him, you will discover the great Christ that has been made available for your need. Jesus is everything we are not. He uh, lives as the perfect man, the perfect uh, uh, image bearer of God in our place. He suffers and dies for all of our failings, all of our wicked sin as men, as women on the cross. He rises up from the grave on the third day, ascends into heaven, rules and reigns every aspect of this universe, and sends his very spirit into our lives uh, to give us the power to live up to this calling that we are unable to achieve on our own. We desperately need Jesus. We desperately need his powerful presence in order to to walk in his calling for our life. And so uh, what we can do this morning by coming to the communion table is we can run to the the Jesus that we desperately need. 
You can come to the communion table running to the Jesus that we desperately need and hear spoken over us that he has made himself available in our deepest places of need. Um, Just like we read earlier, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Are you weary and heavy laden from your own failings? Are you weary and burdened and worn out from living in this very sick, dark world? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He has everything that we need, and uh, what will be spoken over you is what Jesus has done on your behalf. He gave up his body to be broken and beaten in your place. He poured out his blood to cover your sins, and that's going to be spoken over you. And if you believe that Jesus did that, we invite you to come forward and participate in this meal. If you don't believe that Jesus did that, you don't know what you think about Jesus, maybe you're disconnected from him, um, maybe you don't even know what you believe about God, we are more than thrilled that you're here and that you're able to be a part of this conversation. But we would encourage you not to participate in communion as we do believe that this is for those that have put their faith in Christ. Um, But maybe as you linger in your seats and as we come forward to participate, it's in this area of who God has called us to be as men and as women that just, again, our need for Jesus is most revealed. And so if you find yourself needy this morning in your failings, needy in your sin, uh, needing in you failing to live up to the person that God has called you to be, you have a great Savior waiting to greet you this morning. Let me pray for us, and the way we'll take communion is every week is whenever you're ready, you can come out of your seats. What Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. You can go back to your seats. Um, maybe you just need to, s- to spend a moment before you take communion, just saying, Lord, hey, I've been, I've been failing to walk in this area bring that to him, confess that to him, invite his forgiveness over your life. He's eager to give it. Um, And then whenever you're ready, you can take those elements. Let me pray for us as we get ready then to come forward and participate in this meal. Lord, you just, you created us with such a holy calling as men and women. The ability to walk with you, the ability to form and um, lead societies, the ability to start a family and have children of our own. It's a holy calling. It's a high calling that you've placed on us and you've given us things that we need to pursue. I pray that we would hear that invitation this morning. I pray that we would pursue that. Um, And Lord, I pray that we would find in our failings your sufficient grace, your sufficient power to empower us to be different. Lord, if there are men or women in this room that need to lay some burdens before you, They need to confess some failings before you this morning. Would you, by your spirit, provoke and prompt that? And would you meet us now as we um, continue to worship you and prepare to go into this week? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.